Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, my, my wife, if my wife and daughter and grandson could stand up. There they are. It's my wife, Michelle. We'll celebrate 37 years. It's my youngest daughter, Mary. And then out of my 11 grandchildren, Elias is number nine. And I have the great privilege of being able to watch him uh, every Monday through Friday for a few hours. So that means I get to bond with him, change diapers. It seems like every time I watch him, you know, he's got the one, the number two diapers. So uh, I've, 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 you know, it's like riding a bike, though. You know, I had five kids and it's been wonderful. Um, so many folks that I know here uh, that I've known through the years. Um, as, as you know, I've, I've known the Balfours for quite a while. Uh, I knew the pastor before Rob, Andrew Micklefield. We got to connect this weekend. And the reason, really, the connection that I'm, I'm actually standing here today is because in 2006, I believe it was, I met a man named Dave Kaler. And we were in India together, and we just had a wonderful time together. Um, we connected with another brother, and it was just fantastic. In fact, the first time I ever preached uh, in Canada was was at this at a men's retreat that Calvary had way back when. I I want to say it was maybe 2007, uh, but you know, first time I ever preached in Canada was was right here. So uh, we we feel like you know so much a part of your family. Um, and we're, it's really exciting to be here. It's the first time I've preached in the bank and not the funeral home. So I want to say this is going to be great. So I'm really looking forward to it. I was trying to think of something clever and witty. You know, you died over there in the funeral home and now God's opened up the treasure trove here in the bank. And we're so happy that, you know, God's blessing is on you all. Um, again, my name's Brian. Yes. Yeah, good. It's fine. Thank you very much. I thought you were going to make some sounds like NASCAR. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So just one brief. This is Baptism Sunday. That line in that last song, hell has lost another one. Oh, man, that just got me stirred up. Um. But all the folks who got that, what a great way to start the new year, baptisms. And I hope, and I hope my message today, I hope what the Lord, you know, will bring this morning will actually help see and equip and and foster an atmosphere that more baptisms would happen uh, here in this place uh, I got saved in 1983. I was 17 years old. I was a uh, pot-smoking, acid-dropping, Jimi Hendrix-listening, little punk reprobate. I was completely lost. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't believe in God. And a friend of mine came to Christ. He was my best friend in high school and after his junior year and our senior year, he started sharing the gospel. In a matter of months, not only did I believe in Jesus, but I believed I was the chief of sinners and that I needed a savior. And in February 1983, I bowed my knee in my bedroom alone, gave my life to Christ, and he's completely changed me. So today... 
Uh, if you would turn to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I'm going to read uh, this is the text for today. I'll be jumping around to some other passages. Follow along, if you will. Um, in the presence, now this is Timothy's letter, final letter, last letter to Timothy, his son in the faith. It's important that that. You know, we understand Paul the Apostle had some really important things to say to this young pastor, this young minister who is his son in the faith. And he says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? What a great way to, to, to just start speaking to his son in the faith. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I believe this by the Holy Spirit. The, the word of God gives us all this charge. So if you would, if you would read, um, this passage in light of, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. There's a charge being given. I give you this charge. Preach the word. The life giving word of God. The message of hope. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Be prepared to preach this word. Be prepared, prepare yourself in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you. This is to Timothy, but it's to all of us. But you. Somebody once said, you know, when when you see a but in scripture, you better pay attention. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of. Of your ministry. Father, we pray today that you would stir our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would you would come and ignite a passion in us once again to preach the word, to proclaim the gospel, to share, to to encourage, to help, to minister, Lord, to the people outside of the church who don't know you. And we pray you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. This word evangelist found three times in the, in the New Testament. It's once here, another time when it describes Philip the evangelist, and in Ephesians 4.11. I want to submit to you today that this, this challenge was not just to one man, wasn't just to you know, one person, a minister. It's to us all. Doing the work of an evangelist is a very important part of what God's called us to do. My first point that I'd like to make is from this text is to be ready. Prepare yourself. The scripture talks about um, in this that he's telling Timothy Paul to be ready to prepare himself to preach the word. That means for all of us, we have a responsibility. We have a commission. We have a duty, if you will, to prepare ourselves to proclaim, to share, to find ways that we can present Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members, to the people that we come in contact with. Why? 
Because it's why we're here. We're here to proclaim as the church. Ephesians, Paul says that, that we're the, or, or in other places, we're the buttress and the pillar of truth. We know that the gospel is unchained. We know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? We know the gospel, Jesus transforms lives. He's the only one. And so this being prepared, being equipped, readying ourselves, not depending on somebody else, not depending on a class at church, not depending on a program of outreach from the church that, that we need everything administrated to us, but to you individually and to me individually, do the work of an evangelist. If you say, well, I'm not good at that. I, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've never shared my faith. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an introvert. You know, all of those are excuses. You have what it takes to share the gospel. The first thing you have is that you've been cleansed by Jesus's blood. You've had something significant happen in your life. The second thing is you have a testimony. I can tell you this morning, you know, that's why I, you know, like to, ident- you know, tell you who I am. You can tell people who you are. I find myself getting my hair cut, telling the, <laughs> that's a joke, kind of. <laughs> I try to get discounts all the time, but, you know, they, they never do. So I get charged the same price as everybody else does. But what I try to do is just bring that line up. Hey, you know what? I used to be, you know, a, a pot smoking, you know, LSD dropping. Jimi Hendrix listening, you know, uh, reprobate. And that starts a conversation. But we need to prepare ourselves. We need to be ready in season and out. We need to exercise our faith. We need to exercise our communication. We need to get out of our mindset of nobody wants to hear. We need to get out of our mindset that we live in a post-Christian, you know, uh, community and people don't really want to hear the gospel anymore. Do you think that Paul, the apostle, Peter and the rest of them lived in some Christian, you know, idealism? Absolutely not. Everywhere they went, they proclaimed the gospel. They would they would go to a synagogue. They would go see women washing some clothes or doing a bit of laundry and they would preach the gospel everywhere they went. They ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul had a custom everywhere he went. Every city he went, he would start and we'd go proclaim Christ right there in the synagogue. He had something that he did. There was something in his life that was that that was consistent everywhere. This he had something in his life that he did all the time. And that was proclaiming the gospel. I want to encourage you today to ready yourself. Be prepared in season and out of season. First Peter three fifteen says this. It says, but in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense. If you hear people talking, you know, wrongly about Jesus, you know, people use Jesus as a swear word. They use his name in vain. It's a great opportunity when you hear somebody, you know, say the name Jesus Christ when they stub their toe. You can say something like this. He's here. I know him, you know, so there's all sorts, but you have to prepare yourself to preach the gospel. You, you have to realize everywhere you go, God may want to use you right in that situation. So Peter goes on to say, give a defense to everyone who asked you for the reason 
for the hope that's in you. But respond with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4.13, it is written, Paul said, I believed, therefore I've spoken. There's a real truth there. I believe, therefore I speak. I tell people of what's happened to me. You know, before I was a Christian, so po, you know, January of 1983, my nickname, you know, we've been given a new name. I was given a new name. My, my old name was Bry Fry because I did so many drugs, you know, they said my brain was fried. So they called me Bry Fry. All my friends, Bry Fry, you know, that, that was my name. And then I, I, I came to Christ and the, the, the morning that after I'd prayed, I went in, I had a little Bible that my friend had given me and I went, I turned to John three, three, and I stood up at the lunch table with all my friends. And I, I started quoting from the King James, verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then I professed my faith in Christ and told all my friends and my friend, Chris Berkeley, who was sitting right next to me, he goes, Oh, you've got a new name. Now you're Bry Fry, the religious guy. And then I got my new name. We, you and I have to be prepared to give an account for the hope that's in us. We have to prepare ourselves to share the gospel. We need to make sure in the day and age that we live in. That we're prepared to give people the hope that's found in Christ. More and more and more in North America, we find young people, middle-aged people. We find all sorts of people who are dealing with all sorts of anxiety and depression. Over the last 12 years, my wife and I have prayed. And, and it seems like every young person we encounter talks about their depression, talks about their anxiety, talks about the panic attacks they have. It seems like it's more and more commonplace. And the world wants to offer all sorts of, of prescriptions for those things all the time. And we have to believe at some point because we live in such a godless generation and people are turning away from Christ and they're rejecting the gospel by the thousands that somehow that's producing a darkness that we haven't encountered before. A hardness that we haven't encountered before. And what is what will the devil do with that? He'll continue to lie. He'll continue to steal. He'll continue to kill. In the early church, E. Stanley Jones, he said this. He said, people nowadays, they say when they look at the world, they say, they say things like this. Look at what the world's come to. Oh, my goodness. But the early church said, look who's come to the world. It's time for you and me and the church to understand who we are. That we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the heralds of the good news. Not only do we live it, but we proclaim it. 
that we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're preparing ourselves for every situation to, to give an account for why we believe every single day of our life. And, and if anybody would say, man, I just, I've, I've never done that. I can't do that. That's not my personality. I just want to say that it's a lie. And it's literally why we're not evangelizing in North America. The, the, the actual percentages of even people who want to go into ministry has declined significantly in North America and Canada. There was a time that the United Kingdom, they were the ones who sent the gospel all over the, all over the world. Missions agencies and societies formed there and they spread the gospel all over. Now America seems to be one of those places in Canada that they've been, but do you know that England has a very few percentage, you know, like 2% Christians in the whole nation? We're declining. What will we do about it? Will we just give in to and say, look at what the world's come to? Will we shrink back in our four corners and our homes? Will we, will we, will we, you know, be fascinated, you know, with sports, fascinated with our hobbies, or will we get on mission? And with all the people around us who are, who are having all sorts of problems and dilemmas, will you and I bring them the good news? The second thing that we need, not just prepare, we need to let God break us. We need to really open our eyes and see the brokenness of the world around us. In Acts 17, uh, Paul was in Athens. It says this in verse 16. While he was waiting, he was waiting for some brothers to come. He was all alone in Athens and he was just maybe doing a little tour of Athens, just walking around. And it says he was greatly distressed. He was burdened. To see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace. So he went to the synagogue. That was his custom. And then he went to the marketplace. And, and, and to see what happened. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. He, he engaged in debate. You know, that might not be your forte, but... I guarantee you start talking about Jesus, there's going to be some kind of debate. So go back to point one. Ready yourself. Prepare yourself. You know, listen to what people are saying in the office, in the workplace, you know, wherever you're at. Listen and go back and find something that you can give them an answer from Scripture. It takes a little bit of work. So they asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign, foreign gods. They said this because Paul is preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Paul was burdened. It's why he preached. Sometimes we think that we need to pray so that we can get the unction to preach the gospel. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes before we pray, we have to be burdened. It helps us pray. We let God break us. We, we begin to look at the world. We open our eyes. We see the people around us, the struggles that they have, all, all, the, all, all the bondage that people are in, all the confusion that's in our society today. And we have the answer. So we have to prepare ourselves, but we have to be broken. 
We have to understand this breaks God's heart. This is why, because he loved the world so much, he said his only begotten son, right? Like that's one of the simple truths that we have. And so we get into a place where we allow God to break us. When Paul was broken by God and he saw the idolatry that was going around him, he immediately began to debate, to share, to preach. In John 10.10, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life. You have the message of Christ to give people life. Be sober-minded, 1 Peter 5.8. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. How do we resist the devil? One of the ways we resist the devil, right, is steal people back. We preach the gospel. We, we sow the medicine of life that they need for their ailments. We, we bring in the oil and the wine, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not afraid of it. We're not ashamed of it because we really believe it will transform someone's life. One of the miracles that happened with me is it just my, I was such a reprobate when I got saved. So many of my friends were, they, they were curious. They were astonished. They didn't know what happened. One day, a couple weeks after I got saved, I brought like 25 of my friends to church on Wednesday night service. They didn't even know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. But I'll tell you this, when somebody's life changes, people are aware of it. We have to be broken. We have to pray. We have to see um, uh, what God sees. It says, um, firm, say firm in your faith, where I just read 1 Peter 5, 8, knowing the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Why were they suffering? Because they were pro- proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And after you've suffered a little while, I always like how the scripture says that. Kind of nonchalantly. And after you've suffered a while, defending your faith, proclaiming your faith, living for Christ in a hostile community, an anti-God, anti-Christ world. After you've done that, here, here's a, here's a little hope for you. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And that's what we're doing. We're advancing his dominion. The gospel is spreading through human hearts all over the world. And we have the pleasure of being part of that. First John 3, 8. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Uh, the reason the son of a God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and you will and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning is, and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Do you believe the devil today is lying do you believe today that his lies are being spread and that people are, are consuming his lies to the destruction of their own lives? Because he's such a good liar? Absolutely. What stops lies dead in their tracks? The truth of the gospel. That's what. So we have to, we have to be in a place where we're broken. I just kind of made this up. When he stops lying, you can stop crying. But until that day, we have to keep crying over the broken people of the world.
He destroyed death. He destroyed sin. Shame, guilt, condemnation on the cross. My third um, point, and I'll wrap it up with this, is that you and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. God has made us, the scriptures clear, we are ambassadors for Christ. And after Paul says that, he actually, you know, insinuates that people think he's out of his mind. Something's wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with people thinking, you know, is this person going crazy because of the way they live for Christ and proclaim. But we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 518. Now all things are of God who has reconciled to him, us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now the third point in my estimation always has to be the strongest. Every single one of us has been given this ministry of reconciliation. God is reconciling the world to himself as I speak. God is doing a million things all at once. All over the world, in this city, in homes, in in places, maybe right here in this sanctuary. The Holy Spirit's convicting people of sin. Right, right now, because Jesus has been lifted up all over the world, people are being drawn to him. Because God's word is written on everybody's heart, there's people who know that they're in sin and that they're sinners and that they do wrong. Right now, all over the world, people are maybe watching a sunrise or a sunset. Maybe they're in some beautiful place in creation is calling out to him. I'm alive. I'm real. Somewhere. Someplace. Somebody is. is some woman is having a baby. And the parents are looking at that newborn baby. And they're saying. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is a miracle. This is wonderful. Every single aspect of our life. Everywhere we go. People understand and know. When they hear the gospel, they know it's the truth. It's the thing that will set them free. The big question for us today is will we be part of the ministry that God's given us? What do we wait for? What kind of excuses would we make? If we believe that God's reconciling the world to himself and that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, Paul will say in this chapter, he will say this about this ministry. He will say, we implore you as if God was speaking through us. Be, and the King James says, I remember it this way the best, be ye reconciled to God. There's something in you. There's something in me. When we meet people at their lowest point. When we meet people at their, at their most arrogant point. When we meet the atheist or we meet the agnostic. Or we, we meet somebody who's on the street. Killed themselves with drug and alcohol. There's something in us. As we preach the gospel. There's something that happens as we share the gospel. Something's happening in us. So I love to preach. One of the reasons I love to preach because 
I get to connect with that ministry at times where I can say and I, I can literally sense God imploring through me, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to Christ Jesus. That's the ministry that you've been given. There's a few things that um, I'd like to say. Uh, there, I have a bunch of quotes here. Um, I'm not going to go through them. But there was one of the songs today that we sang. And it, 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 it made me think of this story. In the summer, earlier in the year, in June, I came to Canada. I came fishing with my, my dad. It's actually my stepdad. My biological dad died uh, at 63 years of age. Uh, had just given his life to Christ. But, you know, my stepdad and I have been very close. He's, he's been around since I was probably 11 years old. He's been a real father to me. But our, but our life, you know, had its conflicts. And um, we, we had a chance to talk. And I thought the whole time, you know, I'm really going to talk to him. I want to I share my heart with him. And so we were, we were talking one day. And we, we had, in the boat while we were fishing, doing different things. You know, we had been talking about our life together and what was important. And I, I said, you know, there's something I want to say, but I couldn't find the words for it about what he meant to me. And finally, towards the end of the trip, I said to him, you know, I figured it out why we're so close. When I was younger, you know, growing up with my biological dad, you know, he... He used to hit my mom quite a bit. And I'd, I'd watch that. I'd see that take place. And I, I'd get mad. I remember one time as a five-year-old after he hit my mom, I told him, I stood up to him and I said, I'm going to go tell the neighbor. You know? So I, like, I, I didn't know what else to do. And, and then, then he turned on me at some point in my life. And, and uh, it... I love, you know, I, you know, there were so many things about him that I love, but this is kind of part of my life. When my stepdad came around, he always wanted to do things with me. He had, I have three stepsisters. And so he had three girls and, and uh, he always wanted to do things with me. We watched boxing together. We actually got boxing gloves and used to box until I hit him and he got mad at me. And my mom said, that's it. And so we put the boxing gloves away. It's actually kind of a funny story in our family. But when I was communicating to him what he meant to me, I said, you know, I figured it out why we're so close. From the day I met you, you wanted me. You wanted to be around me. And that changed me. That really helped me. And to be able to communicate that to him was such a profound thing for me to be able to do. Imagine what God thinks about you. Honestly. We had our conflicts. You can say, yeah, I'm having some conflicts with God right now. But the thing that separates him from everything else, he wants you. He wants you so much. He wants to be close to you. He loves you so much that he literally, for the joy set before him, endured the shame of the cross for you. So that he could have companionship with you, relationship with you. E. Stanley Jones tells another story about a young man who built a sailboat. He built this sailboat. 
this little boy, and he, after he finished the whole thing, he wanted to set it sail. And so he went down to the local pond, and he, and, he, and he had a string on it, and he let the thing go, and it was sailing beautifully. It stayed afloat, and it was going down, and a wind came up he, and caught the sailboat. He lost the string out of his hand, and the sailboat sailed across the pond. He was running after it, and he saw three boys grab that sailboat and take off. His sailboat was gone. He was very discouraged. And so... He was walking home. As he was walking home, he was he was passing by the pawn shop. And in the pawn shop in the front window was his sailboat. He went in and he told the pawn shop owner, "This is my that's my sailboat." And the pawn shop owner said, "You know, for $5 it's your sailboat, but it's mine." Little boy went home, scrounged up all the money he could, found that $5, went into that pawn shop, Bought that boat and it was said as he walked out clutching that sailboat, you could hear these words. I made you and now I bought you. You're really mine. That's exactly how God sees it. He wants you. He desires you. He wants to have a relationship with you. It's exactly why we evangelize. It's exactly why we're the church telling a fallen destitute world that Jesus loves them. They can repent and turn. He'll wash them, cleanse them and transform their lives. And he'll clutch you and said, yeah, I bought you. I ransomed you. You're mine. And this morning, if there's anyone here that you would, you would just say, you know what? I believe that. If you would for a second believe that that you could confess that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That you believe in your heart that he died for you and that he rose from the grave. The scripture says you'll be saved. And if there's some people here today and you'd like to just say, I believe that for the first time. I just invite you to stand up where you are today. That you would just stand and say, I believe on the Lord Jesus. I want to live for him. Anybody, we're not going to prolong this, but is there anybody who would just like to say, I believe in the Lord Jesus. I give my life to him. Well, we're amongst friends then. And if, if you were embarrassed to stand up, you know who the people that you can come to this morning are. I pray, we pray this morning that every single one of you would not only joy, enjoy being a son, being a daughter, being a child of God, but that you would have a hunger, that you would have a desire to see heaven filled, that you would have a desire and a burden, and that you would have the sober-mindedness and the devotion to prepare yourself to do the work of an evangelist. And that you would see hundreds of people, right? And that thing that looks like a coffin that's got a headstone in that baptismal pool. And that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the lost, the broken, the condemned would come and find uh, the truth in your life. And that you would be a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, let it be done. We pray, Father, that many evangelists would come out of this congregation. We pray for the young people, for the middle schoolers and for the high schoolers in this place. Lord, that you would burden them. 
that you would you would open their eyes to the fact that they have this ministry of reconciliation. And we pray all over this community from this congregation and others, but primarily, Lord, as we're here today from this congregation, that many would know the joy of that ministry of reconciliation and all over this community, coffee shops, homes, workplace, farms, Lord, that people would be implored as if you were speaking through them to be reconciled to you, Jesus. And we thank you for this. Amen.